Because conflicts of interest can be challenging to resolve, lawyers sometimes try somewhat creative approaches to cure them. What are the limits to this practice? I'm Terry Garland, and you're listening to The Portable Ethics Lawyer. Today, we're joined by Randy Corrado, Vice President and Senior Loss Prevention Counsel at Alas. Welcome, Randy. Thank you, Terry. Randy, are there acceptable ways a lawyer or law firm can cure a conflict? It depends, but most approaches will violate the rules or are just too risky. Let's start with the basics. When it comes to conflicts, the rules of professional conduct are proscriptive. That means they say what a lawyer can and cannot do. Rule 1.7's language is clear. Absent consent, a lawyer shall not represent a client if the representation involves a concurrent conflict of interest. A concurrent conflict occurs when the representation of one client will be directly adverse to another client, or there's a significant risk that the representation of one client will be materially limited by the lawyer's responsibility to another client. It's important to understand that it doesn't matter whether the representations are related. So, for example, generally, again, absent consent, if a firm is representing client A in litigation against client B, it cannot represent client C in negotiating a real estate deal opposite client A. And in that situation or similar situations, coming up with a workaround won't change the answer or cure the conflict. So would you give us a real-life example of an attempted cure? Yes. Let's say you regularly represent client A in a variety of matters, so you have a current ongoing relationship with A. Client A then asks you to take on a new matter, unrelated to the existing work. But after a conflict check, you discover that firm client B is adverse to A in that new matter. You rightly conclude that you can't take the matter and do not seek the consent from A or B. However, client A is willing to happily waive any conflict and asks you to consult on the decline matter in the background. A pressures you to help, arguing that they really value your input. Of course, the answer is no, right? Of course. Declining the matter on the surface, but then secretly assisting A in the matter adverse to B is a clear breach of the duty of loyalty to client B and would violate the rule. Well, let's hope most lawyers would understand that. Most perhaps, but not all. We still get questions about whether a lawyer can do that, and we see claims involving lawyers that did so. Hey, we all understand that lawyers will want to keep client A and make client A happy, but a lawyer cannot act to the disadvantage of another client, here B. In short, the lawyer would be conspiring against an existing client. And client A may well later conclude, if you do agree to consult in that background, that you're not to be trusted on their matters. If you'd go behind B's back, why wouldn't you do the same to A? Any other cures lawyers might try but shouldn't? Yes. They might consider limiting the scope of the engagement to avoid a conflict. This approach is the subject of a recent case. There, NASDAQ filed the patent infringement and trade secrets case against Miami International Holdings, also known as MIACs, and related companies, accusing them of stealing NASDAQ employees and its IP to start competing options exchanges. The law firm recognized a conflict because it had represented NASDAQ between 1998 and 2011, six years earlier. In fact, the firm represented NASDAQ in the prosecution of four of the seven patents involved in the MIAX case. So in this case, they had a former client conflict under Rule 1.9. 
So would you review Rule 1.9 for us? Well, Rule 1.9 is titled Duties to Former Clients. And like Rule 1.7, it is prescriptive. It says that absent informed consent, a lawyer who has formally represented a client in a matter shall not thereafter represent another person in the same or substantially related matter in which that person's interests are materially adverse to the interests of the former client. So here, as presented to the firm, it had, at a minimum, a situation where the new matter is substantially related to the former client's matter since it involved the four patents the firm had prosecuted for the former client, NASDAQ. Sounds like a pretty easy call, right? Well, it should have been. But to avoid the conflict, the law firm in MIAX limited the firm's engagement to only those parts of the case that were unrelated to the four patents the firm had prosecuted for NASDAQ. Another firm was hired to handle the conflicting patents. The firm set up an ethics screen on the case, screening the office and the lawyers who had been involved in the four NASDAQ patent prosecutions. The firm and MIAX also signed a common interest and joint representation agreement with the other firm hired to handle the case as it related to the conflicting patents. In short, the law firm carved up the case into separate matters to avoid the conflict. Not surprisingly, NASDAQ moved to disqualify the firm. The magistrate judge granted the motion, and the district court agreed. The court criticized the firm's attempt to segregate the matters to cure the conflict as insufficient, especially since all seven patents and the related trade secrets involved the same general field of technology. One other factor served as icing on the cake. Myax filed a single motion to dismiss NASDAQ's complaint, which attacked all the patents on practically identical grounds, which undermined the notion of dual representation and, according to the court, quote, demonstrated a collaborative effort in representing Myax against NASDAQ, close quote, notwithstanding the asserted limited engagement. So what lesson do you take from that case? Well, it's really this. Whenever you're trying to work around a conflict, don't fool yourself by being too cute. Another important thing to remember is that under the conflict rules, a lawyer is also prohibited from putting his own interest ahead of the client. So, for example, in our first example, the lawyer is motivated to help A. Why? Well, to help A, but also to keep A happy so A will continue to send the lawyer work. So if the lawyer capitulates and, in fact, helps A, he has put his own interest in retaining client A ahead of client B's interest in having a conflict-free lawyer. Anything else to consider? There's one more issue. A lawyer might be tempted to consider disengaging from a current client to avoid a conflict with a potential new one. Does that really work in practice? Well, again, in most cases, the answer is no, with one exception. Let's take an example. Suppose a lawyer has, from time to time, represented client A on small real estate matters. Although the lawyer's firm has nothing pending for A at the present time, A may likely be considered a current client of the firm, especially if that's how A is listed in the firm's system. A second lawyer in the firm is asked to represent client B, in a major case against A. The case against A has nothing to do with the real estate matters the firm has handled for A. The second lawyer analyzes B's claim and concludes that it's meritorious and a potentially lucrative representation. After discussing the matter, the firm's executive committee votes to discontinue its representation of A and accept the representation of B against A. Can the firm really do that? 
Well, this requires consideration of what's known as the hot potato rule. The majority view expressed in a frequently quoted opinion is that, quote, a firm may not drop a client like a hot potato, especially if it is in order to keep happy a far more lucrative client, close quote. It has also been applied in a lateral hire situation. For example, in one case where two lateral lawyers brought to their new firm a litigation matter in which the opposing party was a client of the new firm in unrelated matters for the past eight years. The firm decided to resolve the conflict by terminating its current client. After deciding the firm had violated the hot potato rule by its unilateral withdrawal, the court ruled that the firm could not even continue to represent the lateral's client in the litigation matter. So the firm got burned on both clients. Another court extended the hot potato rule to a situation involving two existing clients. When it discovered it had a concurrent conflict, a firm ceased representing the client for which it had done very little work. In ruling on a disqualification motion in this litigation, the court found the firm had breached its duty of loyalty, explaining that, quote, allowing a law firm to resolve voluntarily created conflicting loyalties by simply dropping the less favored client undermines the expectation of undivided loyalty, close quote. Now, a minority view, Terry, rejects application of the hot potato rule. One case noted that under limited circumstances, a law firm can withdraw from the representation of a current client for whom active matters are pending to represent another longstanding client adverse to that client. The Alabama Supreme Court declined to apply the hot potato rule where the law firm was not responsible for creating the conflict and had withdrawn from representing the party least likely to be harmed by the withdrawal. Comment 4 to Model Rule 1.7 states that where more than one client is involved in a conflict, whether the lawyer may continue to represent any of the clients is, quote, determined both by the lawyer's ability to comply with duties owed to the former client and by the lawyer's ability to represent adequately the remaining client given the lawyer's duties to the former client, close quote. Earlier, you mentioned that there was one exception to the hot potato rule. What's that? It's referred to as the thrust-upon exception, which in some ways follows the minority view. Assume that a law firm has been representing Client A in extended and contentious patent litigation against Corporation B. The litigation has lasted for years, and Client A has incurred substantial fees during that period. Corporation B then acquires 100% of the stock of Corporation C. At the time of the acquisition, a partner in the firm is representing Corporation C in a real estate transaction. Corporation B then moves to disqualify the firm in the patent litigation, asserting that the firm cannot be adverse to it while simultaneously representing its new, wholly-owned subsidiary, Corporation C. The firm offers to resign as real estate counsel to C, thus curing the conflict, but the general counsels of B and C refuse to accept the firm's resignation will cure the conflict. Applying the hot potato rule would result in the firm's disqualification in the patent litigation. Some courts, however, recognize an exception to the hot potato rule and would not disqualify the firm where the conflict has been thrust upon it by a corporate merger or acquisition, and the firm withdraws from the other representation. Comment 5 to Model Rule 1.7 also recognizes that Depending on the circumstances, a lawyer with a thrust-upon conflict may be able to withdraw from one of the representations to avoid the conflict. 
Another situation where the thrust upon argument has been effective to avoid disqualification is where client A, who the firm represents in unrelated matters, joins a lawsuit adverse to client B, who is represented by the law firm in the litigation. The thrust upon exception to the hot potato rule has been, for the most part, limited to these types of situations. Well, what if one of the clients won't agree to withdraw? Good question. New York City Opinion 2005-05 provides a roadmap of how to resolve a thrust-upon-conflict situation. The opinion says that the lawyer should apply a balancing test to decide whether withdrawal is appropriate, and if so, from which representation to withdraw. They say, quote, The overriding factor should be the prejudice the withdrawal or continued representation will cause the parties, including whether the representation of one client over the other would give an unfair advantage to a client, close quote. Other factors the lawyer should consider are which client's conduct caused the conflict, whether either client is using the conflict as leverage in the matter, the cost and inconvenience to each client of retaining new counsel, whether the lawyer's vigor of representation would be affected in the continuing representation, and the lawyer's overall relationship to each client. The opinion cautions, however, that if the matters are substantially related, or confidential information is involved, the lawyer's withdrawal may not cure the conflict because the continuing representation would probably result in a former client conflict. Even though this opinion is not binding on the court, it provides useful guidance for a lawyer who believes he or she may have a thrust upon conflict. Any final thoughts on the topic, Randy? In all these situations, there are also business issues to consider. Even if your cure to a conflict might work, what effect will that have on the involved clients? You could end up losing both clients and invite a disciplinary complaint too. And if you proceed and are challenged, you might face a disqualification motion or a claim for breach of fiduciary duty. So the bottom line, if you have any questions, always consult your firm's general counsel or loss prevention partner before you try to cure a conflict on your own. Thanks, Randy. Happy to do it. Until next time, I'm Terry Garland, and this is The Portable Ethics Lawyer. This podcast is provided for educational purposes to assist lawyers in avoiding ethics violations, malpractice suits, other professional liability claims, and management liability claims. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship, nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. The recommendations contained in this podcast are not necessarily appropriate for every lawyer or law firm. In determining the best course of action, lawyers should consider the applicable legal authorities and all relevant facts and circumstances. Copyright 2019 by Attorneys Liability Assurance Society. All rights reserved.